0: THE STORY OF THE LITTLE SERVANT CHAPTER 3 The days passed on, and the warm, lovely summer was at its full. Each day little Esther and her knight, as she so loved to call him, worked in the garden. The flowers blossomed the brightest. The forget-me-nots were the bluest, and the lilies the purest, in the carefully tended bed in the southwest corner of the garden, where the little girl daily worked. Some ladies' friends of Mrs. Carleton tried to remonstrate with her. They told her the child would get all rough and brown working so constantly out in the sun, and that they should think she would be afraid to leave her with a strange young man about whom she knew nothing, but Grandma and Grandpa were wise, and were looking out for their darling. The ladies were disappointed in one thing. Esther did not grow brown and rough. Her skin was that rare, clear kind which would not tan or roughen, and so she only grew rosier and lovelier. It was a very hot day, and Esther had been left with Sarah while Mr. and Mrs. Carlton went out to dine. She wandered about from window to window and out on the porch, but everything was uninteresting, and it was so hot everywhere. She wished she was out under that cool maple with Robert. She knew she would have a good time. The house was dull without grandma, and Sarah was down in the kitchen ironing. Sarah had told her not to go out of the house until it grew cooler. If Sarah only knew how beautiful it was under that tree, she would let her go. She decided to go down to the kitchen and ask her. Down she went, but Sarah was having a discussion with the cook and did not notice Esther, except to tell her not to lean against the ironing board or She would be burned. She wondered to the kitchen door the flowers seemed to be nodding their heads in an afternoon nap while the tr- with the trees bending over to fan them the bees and butterflies went lazily from one flower to another as though loath to disturb their slumbers there was a still hum of heat over everything she forgot the injunction about the ironing board and came back to it, leaning one chubby hand and arm with its short white sleeve down right in front of the great hissing errand. Sarah had taken her hand from the iron and placed it on her hip, while laboring to convince Bridget the cook that Patrick O'Flanagan's sister had run away with a relation of Bridget's own cousin on her mother's side. Robert Knight was coming down the gravel path outside with the wheelbar. Esther heard him, and her head was turned toward the door. The ironing board tipped a little, like an inclined plane, as all ironing boards will when one end is mounted on the table and the other end on a chair back one inch and a half higher than the table, and so the great hot iron placed at the upper end, while Sarah, discoursed on the wickedness of Miss O'Flanagan, came sliding slowly down, hissing and scorching its way as it came, till the soft white arm of little Esther stopped its progress for a moment. Without a word, the little girl jumped quickly, drew back her arm, and the iron proceeded on its wicked way, only stopping at the other end of the board to scorch an ugly spot in Sarah's best white apron ruffle little esther stood looking for a moment at the long red scar in her white flesh the tears welling up and making her eyes twice as large, large as usual her little bosom heaving and her whole form quivering with pain then without one sound she turned to the door where stood robert knight and sprang into his arms burying her head in his neck and letting the deep sobs of pain have full vent now she had found a refuge and a friend of course they rushed around her to know what was the matter. No one but Knight had seen what had happened. Sarah was fairly frantic and tried to take her darling from him. But Esther clung to him and he held her fast. It almost seemed as if the burn was his own. He could feel every quiver of pain that went through the little frame as he held her close and never until then had he realized how she had crept into his heart. Tenderly they bound up the arm, he holding her the while for she would not leave him much to the char. char- chagrin of her nurse when the pain was eased and the little arm all carefully shielded she felt better and asked him to take her out under the pretty shady trees so they went out and he stopped all his work and held her in his arms a long long time when they were fixed to her satisfaction she leaned back and said it hurted very bad mr knight in a tone that almost astonished himself so full was it of love and revenge for his darling he said how could god let it happen he would have taken the words back." the next instant, but they had been in his heart and had come out before he could stop them. She threw back her head, a startled, wondering look in her eyes. Why, Mr. Knight, God didn't let it happen. I did it myself. Sarah told me not to come near the table, and I came. She told me I would get burned, and I did. God sent me word, and I didn't mind. He was startled and ashamed. The little believer's forcible reasoning had silenced him. Her next question startled him yet more, Mr. Knight, don't you love my Jesus? He couldn't give her any answer, but a shake of the head, and he saw she was disappointed. Mr. Knight, don't you know my Jesus? He loves you very much. He shook his head again. The grieved look deepened. Then you must find him right away, for you can't be a good knight unless you know Jesus. How can you go on a great errand unless you know him? You can't be a brave knight without him, for you won't have anybody to help you. She paused, and he looked down at the sad little face, starting to find great tears rolling down her cheeks and dropping thick and fast on his hands. It was anguish to be the cause of those tears. His soul wreathed under it. What could he say to comfort her? Mr. Knight, came the soft, troubled voice again, won't you please go to go right away and find Jesus, won't you? The pleading eyes, full of tears, looked up at him for an answer, and he felt it was a solemn thing she asked of him which, if he promised, he must surely do, and he waited. His proud spirit could not bear to say yes, and he could not say no to his little queen. They heard the distant grind of the carriage wheels as they turned into the gravel driveway, and Esther put up the little well hand and touched him softly on the cheek. Won't you please, Mr. Knight? Yes, I will, he said in her earnestly, and bent over and kissed the bright curl that had strayed out on the breast of his rough coat. Then Esther was so happy, the tears all melted into smiles, and she wiped her face vigorously with her wee handkerchief that Grandma might not think her arm hurting so very much now. The carriage came, and Esther, in the arms of her knight, went to tell Grandma and Grandpa all about the burn. She was carried to the house to be petted, and Grandma was heard to remark that she never would leave her again. Robert Knight went to his room and set himself to his strange task to find God. This was solemn business. It was not merely his promise to Esther that had stirred his heart to the depths this afternoon. God's Spirit had been striving with him for some time. The weeks of contact with the lovely life of this trusted little servant of Jesus had softened his heart and set him to thinking. He took up the Bible that had lain untouched on the stand in his room ever since he came there. As he opened it, there rushed over him the feeling that he was coming into the presence of the great God, and a sense of his unworthy life filled him with shame. His whole past stood out before him and seemed hateful when he thought that the pure eyes of God were looking upon it. It seemed a hopeless undertaking, this trying to make peace with an angry God, and he felt like giving up all effort, but little Esther's troubled face came to his mind, and he remembered he had promised. Back again to his life he went and searched carefully through every detail to see if by any possibility he might find something that would justify him in the eyes of God. He remembered the unkept promise to his dying mother and fell on his knees beside the chair crying, "Oh God, forgive me, I am very wicked, forgive me and save me for Jesus' sake. Over and over again he sent up the same petition, till worn out by the excitement he leaned his head against the little table to study and close his eyes. There floated through his brain a picture he saw himself, a little boy again, sitting beside his mother in the dim twilight of a Sabbath afternoon, the last faint sunbeam glancing through the stained-glass windows of the great dark church and throwing a glimmer over the white communion table with its high stately silver. The sound of a sweet hymn had just died away, and the gentle voice of the white-haired minister was speaking these words, Him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. It was a verse his mother had taught him long before, and he remembered the sense of satisfaction which had filled him that afternoon that the minister had used his verse. But no clear idea of the meaning of those words had entered his mind then. Now he began to realize what they meant. It was a promise from God that he would receive him. Him that cometh, he slowly repeated, I have come already, and he must have received me, for he has promised, but oh... What shall I do with my wicked, wasted life? It is just filled with sin from beginning to end. Then like an answer to this earnest cry from his awkward soul came another verse from his childhood memories, and he blessed his mother who hath taught him the precious words. The blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanseth us from all sin. Yes, he had known that verse a long time. Why had it never brought him such joy as it brought now? But then he had never before realized what an awful sinner he was. He had often with his wild companions sneered at that very verse, at the idea that the blood of Jesus could help any man, but now he felt a blessed relief in the thought that Jesus would bear all the burden of the terrible load he had just begun to see had been upon him for years. With his head still bowed, he knelt there a long time trying to tell Jesus all that was in his heart, the humiliation, the sense of sin sorrow and the overwhelming thankfulness that Christ was willing to save such as he. "'Did you find him?' whispered Esther in the garden the next morning while Grandma and Mrs. Senator Brownlee went around amongst the flowers. Yes, he answered with a bright smile. The dreadful burn proved not to be so bad after all, and after a few days, the little girl was out among her dear flowers again, very glad to be back and talked to her a night, and glad indeed he was to have her again, for he had missed her sadly. And then soon came Esther's birthday, and she had a party, nine little girls and ten little boys. They came, their faces shining with expectation of a good time. How pretty they looked in their dainty dresses and bright sashes flying about among the trees. Madam Bird, just hatching her second brood, sat and watched them and thought with a passing bird sigh, how many, many lovely nesses all those sashes would make if they were only raveled out. Out under the great elm at the upper end of the lawn, Robert Knight was fixing something about the swing, and around him stood Frankie Elbright, Minnie Haney, George Forbes, and Esther. Little mites they were with such baby faces, but you should have heard them talk. I've got a cousin lives in Boston, said Minnie Hainson, with an important little air. And she's got a great big doll, big she is, and it talks and walks and does everything. Oh, that's nothing, said George G. Forbes. My papa knows the president, and he swung his little kilts back and forth and gave a very short jump in the air. Presidents ain't as big as kings, said Frankie Albright. My papa saw a king once. "'There ain't anybody bigger than kings.' Esther had stood very quiet watching her little guesses, "'but now she said in a positive tone, "'Yes, there is. God is bigger than anyone else, "'and my mama is in heaven where she sees him every day, "'and I'm his little servant.' A queer little hush fell over the baby group, and Georgie Forbes stopped jumping for full half a minute. Robert Knight drew the back of his hand across his eyes before he could see to tie the last knot of the big rope. But the happy little party was over at last. The summer passed away. Esther's bright flowers sighed and died except for a few red mitten geraniums that she helped transplant to the conservatory, and the brilliant autumn came.